I remember one one in Aspen, uh, one of the later comps in Aspen, I think, where uh, there was an embedded thunderstorm over the divide between there and Crested Butte, and so kind of the whole lead gaggle got got stuck in a gust front, and um, I I'd remembered uh, like Robbie Whittle talking about how you know you shouldn't do big ears, and so I remember being very amused to look down and see Robbie Whittle right under me doing big ears. <laughs> Well, hello there. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem Podcast. A little prelude there of things to come from the Josh Bot. Uh, before we get into this, wanted to just thank all of you, number one, for your generosity and your don- donations. I really appreciate that. But also just for the feedback, and hopefully these are getting better and better. I really appreciate the feedback, one of which was uh, that people didn't like to be getting a little prelude from the show before. That was confusing. So I'll try to do that either on the current show or a show in the future uh, going forward. Um Josh Cohn, this is a pretty exciting episode. It was really cool to sit down with Josh Cohn. He is by far and away the U.S.'s uh, most winningest uh, competition pilot we've ever had, uh, just by far and away. He's uh, reading his CV is kind of like reading Kelly Slater's in the surfing world. Um, He started flying when he was 16, started dominating soon after that. He's been at it a long time, um, from PWC wins to task wins at Worlds and twice national champion in the U.S., and we dig into how that's possible. How has he retained the passion for it after all these years? Um, How has he been safe? What he's thinking about currently about uh, CCC gliders and banning open class and where we are with all of that. We talk about what happened with the two big accidents in the Sierras back in September at nationals. Um, We talk about technique. We talk about all kinds of things. Um, you know, one of the things I really wanted to delve in with Josh was just how he can be so consistent. So we get into that. Um, and if you think it's all just training and uh, being really aware, it's actually beyond that for Josh. As you can imagine, um, he has studied psychology. And as we all know, psychology is a very big aspect of this sport. Uh, kind of the concept of bringing it that uh, Bill Belcourt talked about in the first episode. We talk about his mentors along the way. And um, yeah, this is just a fantastic show. I think you're really going to dig this. Um, whether you're expert or uh, you're just wanting to fly big lines or you're wanting to get into comps or uh, whatever level you're at, I think you're going to get a lot out of this talk with Josh. Uh, So without further ado, Josh Cohn. Josh Cohn, how are you? It's good to uh, have you on the show. Hey, Gavin. Yeah, nice talking to you. What have you been up to lately? I saw you a couple weeks ago out at the uh, at the Nationals and the Sierras, and that was pretty action-packed. Have you been flying since? I haven't been, actually, no. Um, I was at the Yushpa board meeting recently, uh, but it's it's been kind of the off-season yeah, here lately. Days are, days are getting pretty short. Sure, sure. I mean, we've got some interesting things going on with insurance that we might get in, into later on. But um, just to give some background, uh, you know, I because I don't even know it. You've just uh, I, I searched around and found, and you actually sent them over to me all your results, which are like it's incredible. You're like the Kelly Slater of our sport, man. This is amazing. Nine wins, uh, 
you won the PWC in Chelan in 2010. You've been national champion, I believe, twice. Is that right? I think so, yeah. It's a little confusing with these national series recently. Uh, but, yeah, that, definitely once. I'm not totally sure about the second time. But, yeah, I, I got the idea of keeping a competition CV some years back when I was rooming with Bruce Goldsmith at a World Cup in Mexico. And uh, he you know, mentioned that he kept one. I was like, oh, that's a good idea. You could, you could easily forget this stuff otherwise. Yeah, I mean, well, and you can certainly forget it when you've had the career and the length of the career that you've had. You started flying when you were 16, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Pretty pretty soon after I got my driver's license. <laughs> Excellent. And what was, the, what was the impetus there? What was the catalyst that, that got you into flying? Uh, I remember reading about it in a ski magazine. Okay. And and the the article mentioned two schools in the whole country and and I was scheming to get up to one and the closest one elicited was in Seattle. And I was actually in touch with them but never quite worked out and then I just happened to go to an outdoor expo in San Francisco near where I lived and um and there was a local school there that had a a booth and a show special and and I got started out that way. And what was it about flying you know when you're 16 i mean i i did i'd i'd seen paragliding a, a lot because I, I spent a lot of time in seattle and uh you know a good friend of mine lived at the base of tiger and was always begging me to get into it and i completely avoided it for 10 years because it it actually didn't look that exciting to me and i kept hearing about all the accidents but what what was it and of course then i got into it and i discovered it was amazing but what was it that really pulled you to it uh, from the magazine article from when you when you saw it the first time I guess it was kind of similar to uh, what uh, Mads was describing in a recent podcast where I, I always used to have flying dreams. Mm. And uh, in in these dreams, I would tend to kind of start out realizing that I could, like, take big, bigger and bigger steps on the sidewalk, and then I could, like, flap my arms and kind of extend it and, you know, eventually be, be flapping around. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just, it just seemed like like a natural thing that I wanted to do. Interesting. And so did it kind of grab you right from the start? Um, pretty, pretty much. Uh, I started rock climbing at around, around the same time. And where I went to college in Colorado, there was in Colorado Springs, there was really better rock climbing around there than paragliding. So, um, and just in terms of my friends at the time, I tended to go climbing more in college. Um, but then afterward, sort of during those summers, I spent some time in Aspen and did my first competition and started getting more into it. Your first competition was then, how old were you in, in, at, the, at the Aspen comp? Uh, let's see, uh, 22, I think. 22, okay. And then I, I just got off the phone with Nick, and, and one of the first questions he wanted me to ask you was he, he would really like you to talk about your task win at the Worlds. Uh, he thought you were like 18, so you must have been a little bit older than that in Granada, and then tie that into a, an incident with a bus and Mads. Okay, so the, well, let's see. Task win at the Worlds was the '97 Worlds in um, in Castellon in okay. the Pyrenees. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, that was kind of funny because I was on I was on a uh, Pro Design glider, which was a little bit of a minority brand. There were only a I don't know two or three of us, I think, in that Worlds there, and 
I was with the lead gaggle as we were just coming around the corner of the mountain back toward toward goal, and um, we were all too high for for goal because we'd had to come around the corner of the mountain. And in those days, there was a maximum goal altitude because you had numbers. Uh, we didn't have GPS, and so the goal crew had to be able to read your numbers. So you you had to get down to within 500 feet of the ground to make goal. And so it turned out that that my glider got a worse glide at top speed. And so that allowed me to just stomp full bar and not have to pull big ears or anything like everyone else was and uh, win the task. So it was, it was a little bit unfair, but uh, afterwards, Robbie Whittle was talking about... Uh, how they should maybe think about uh, installing a plummet button in their gliders, also. <laughs> and what? And what's the story with the bus? Uh, um, so yeah, so that was the worlds in in Montalegre, and no, 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 it was Sierra, in Sierra Nevada in southern Spain, yeah, Granada, and um, so it was, it was a really interesting flying site. There, we'd be launching it like I don't know, ten thousand or twelve thousand feet or something, really high up on this ski area and then landing down the valley at I don't know almost sea level and it was really warm down there so one day we'd we'd landed down in this dusty field and um, a bunch of pilots had gotten on the bus and it was super hot and we're just getting a bit impatient and uh, the bus driver was nowhere to be seen and so Mads took it upon himself to get the bus driver's attention so he walked up to the front of the bus and um, kind of, kind of just like, uh, kind of pounded a little bit on the on the windshield, knocked on it with his with his palm. But there must have been a, a hairline crack in it or something because it it caused a big big crack across the the windshield of the bus. So then the bus driver was pissed, and there was kind of a standoff in the in the entrance of the bus, and eventually no one got hurt, but. Uh, I think uh, there was a little bit of legal trouble. <laughs> Some legal trouble. Did Mads go to jail? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and so, was your what? What drew you to competitions like back in Aspen? So, if you were twenty-two, you've been flying, uh, you know, five or six years. Then, I guess, is that when you when you first got into your the first comp? Yeah, that's that's about right. And, and what was it that kind of drew you to that? Because it seems like, you know, in, in reading your, your CV on, on flying, I, I mean, I know that you also chase distance and records. You've got three records on here, uh, the U.S. record in 97 in, in Hobbs of 173 miles, which is a long way back then in 97 on those gliders. Uh, you've got another one, another couple in Texas, 192 miles. Um, so, you know, I, I know you like to get after it and, and go big and not just fly comps but what was it about you know we we all refer to you and you know all the u.s pilots will know this but maybe everybody doesn't know we call it we call you the josh bot because you're just so incredibly consistent um and so we're going to get into your you know your tactics and strategy here in a little bit but tell me about those early days of competition flying and just why what what drew you to them so i was i was um in aspen flying tandems and teaching and um the U.S. Nationals was being organized there, and so I got to, um, you know, got to meet some of the comp pilots who'd come to train for it, and um, I guess 
you know, decided I might as well enter. And, uh, you know, it didn't, didn't do very well. It was, it was a humbling experience. Um, you know, I was kind of a little bit of a, a local XC hero maybe, but, um, they definitely, you know, showed me what was what, and it kind of opened my eyes to, you know, what more was possible. Hmm. And then, so, it, it, were you were you you were living in Aspen then? When did you move out to San Francisco? I was pretty much in in uh, Colorado for ten years between college and kind of dirtbagging for a few years, traveling and and then grad school, and then spent a year in Hawaii. And then, um, then came back to the Bay Area. Okay. You know what I'd I'd like to even ask you more about is your training. You know, do you do you consider um, do you do you still train for competitions or do you just rock up and, and send it? I like to get a couple of practice days in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think too much more than that, and and you risk getting a little bit uh, tired out or or burned out beforehand, especially if it's going to be a long comp. A couple of years ago, when we were down at the, um, I believe it was the Super Final in Mexico, or maybe it was the Monarca, I can't remember which one, but you and Eric Reed were, were doing a lot of physical training. You were adding on a ton of pounds, um, and I think a, a big part of that was just the wings you, were, you guys were flying, but um, do, you, do you train in other ways? Do you train physically or mentally for, uh, for competition flying or just flying in general? Well, yeah, that was kind of a funny period when, for a little while there, after we went back to serial gliders, there was basically only one size available of comp gliders, and so um, if you didn't want to have to carry a ton of ballast, it, it did help to bulk up a little bit, and, and I found that, that I kind of liked the kind of liked the weight training, and I've stuck with that more or less since then, um, and then I'd, I'd gotten back into running in the last couple of years and although lately I've been kind of just on a sort of maintenance just like once a week kind of thing and is is paragliding for you uh you know something that's a, a kind of a recreational activity that you do whenever you kind of get the time or do you have goals uh you know do you um like I think that those of us that that fly with you, you know, your your style is is really something to behold. I mean, you're you're always stomping, you're always going hard. Um, sometimes, like like last year, maybe it was this year at the rat race, you were way ahead going into the last day, and uh, and yet you still just threw down, uh, you know, on the on that last day, and and you know landed short, and I think ended up in second, which is just rad i love that style. I, I really like that you're just you're always going hard um you know t- tell me just about your kind of your your goals in paragliding is it you know i because it, it, it's kind of hard to tell you when i watch you it's it's you're 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 clearly out there to win but you're also seem to be just having a lot of fun and you know and i i, I don't know is is the win really the the ultimate or is it more just flying around with your friends I was flying in uh, like '95 in Australia, and I remember seeing my first uh, World Cup pilot there, and um, it might have been Harry Bunce. And um, I was on launch, and I just saw him launch, and then thermal out, and just like head off into the distance. And um, I just thought that was pretty pretty amazing. And uh, I thought, you know, maybe maybe someday I could be that good. And um, so 
you know, I guess one goal was just to was just to get better, and um, and then I guess I see it as an outlet for uh, a way to to find adventures and to to see new places and to uh, you know have have some have some good adventures with the buddies. Hmm. What was your first win? Um, let's see. Well, I guess I mean I guess winning the the nationals in '99. Uh, although that was, there were some foreign pilots at that meet who who came in ahead of me. Um, I guess there was a tow meet in Florida in 2003, but uh, yeah. and then also SoCal Open in 2003. Maybe a, a better question would be: Is your do you have a most memorable flight? And it, was it a comp flight or just a, a free flight? Oh, there's so many, but. Um, one that comes to mind was from um, a World Cup out of Sierra Nevada. It was a few years before the Worlds there. And they called just this ridiculously long task, I think 240 kilometers, like most of the way across Spain. <laughs> and we just headed out, didn't have GPS or anything. And, you know, somehow I had a rough idea of where to, I mean, it was pretty much north. Uh, but, but we went across mountains and across flatlands and, through a national park, um, like gliding over these ridges where we didn't really know it was on the other side. It was just an amazing adventure. And no one actually made gold, but I think the winners made it around 200 Ks. And, um, yeah, I made it not, not too far behind that. So that was pretty, that was pretty memorable. Do you, have you ever had, um, either an incident or a time in, in your career uh, since you started flying when you were 16 that was, I would describe like as a lull or a time where you, you know, took a step back or um, either either lost the passion or, you know, had a, had a, had a moment where it was like, oh, I don't know about this. Maybe from a, a I, scary I guess, flight or a, an accident or. I guess that time in college you could describe that way and probably – or, well, I suppose part of that was losing a, a friend, a friend from Aspen who who died um, while pioneering a site somewhere in Colorado. Um, yeah, that that kind of you know put me uh, gave me a little bit of pause, I guess. Was it hard to come back from that, or was it you know was it was it just time, or um, did you find that it affected your flying? Uh, I mean, I guess there was also that, that during that time I had my kind of main, main accident and it took, it took a, like a month to kind of physically recover from it. And, um, and then, yeah, probably a little bit longer to get my head right again. Um, tell me about the accident. I didn't know you'd had an accident. So it was, it was an evening flight in Aspen and, uh, we'd flown smuggler and, we're landing in, in a friend's uh, driveway, basically. And um, I I guess I hit some, some turbulence sort of while, while doing S-turns on final approach and got a collapse and kind of pendulumed into the into the driveway. And uh, so I, you know, at the time, just thought I kind of like sprained, sprained a couple things and rung my bell a bit. But it turned out later on that I'd uh, torn a ligament in my knee that I later on ended up getting fixed. Have you had other accidents or or have you ever thrown your reserve? 
um, so three times uh, in like 2000, 2001. Yeah. But other times just over water. Were any of those, you know, memorable in a way that are the, the, the three times that were the other times not over water? Did those just work out? Um, yeah, they worked out. I mean, they were kind of memorable. One, one of them, uh, was in, in Valle and, uh, I think the guys got a chuckle because as I was, I, cause I threw fairly ro- low kind of over Espinazo, um, but had time to get on the radio and say, uh, I'm coming down under reserve. And, uh, I can remember Gad kind of, uh, chuckling over that later. <laughs> <laughs> cause you were low. <laughs> And and just yeah, sounding pretty unemotional about it. I guess, on the radio. <laughs> right, the Josh bot just reporting. <laughs> I mm-hmm. like it. I like it. Um, scary flight. Yeah, I'm, we've all had scary flights. But I, I was it was just on a bike ride earlier today, and I was asking Nate also, hey, what question should I ask Josh? I said I want to find out if he's had a scary flight, and he said, ah, Josh has never had a scary flight. He doesn't get scared. But is that true? Oh no! I've had lots of scary flights. <laughs> I figured. Do you have a or, have a real have have one that really stands out? I, I remember one one in Aspen, uh, one of the later pumps in Aspen, I think, where uh, there was an embedded thunderstorm over the divide between there and Crested Butte, and so kind of the whole lead gaggle got got stuck in a gust front, and um, I I'd remembered uh, like. Robbie Whittle talking about how you know you shouldn't do big ears, and so I remember being very amused to look down and see Robbie Whittle right under me doing big ears. <laughs> uh, but uh, so yeah, that was that was definitely scary for a little bit, and I mean I'm sure there've been others. Uh, I mean I've I've tried to give after that, and generally tried to give give thunderstorms pretty wide berth. Yeah, there was there was another time and in Jackson Hole and I was kind of soaring at the training hill and then and some there were some kind of clouds with small clouds with Virgo way across the valley and then next thing you know it just just picked up and um it went from not quite so kind of barely soarable to being blown over the back and um had a pretty hard landing and I I suspect some of the stiffness in my back sometimes might have something to do with that hmm um on that note, one of the questions I always like to ask is there, you know, looking back at this long career you've had, uh, and, and a lot of flying in a lot of places all over the world, is there things you've learned along the way that you wish you would have known when you were 16? You know, like any advice to your 16 year old self before you, you know, took your first flight, like, Hey man, be wary of this or (laughs) take the time to learn this. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't get high and go flying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless it works for you, but it doesn't work for me. Right. <laughs> That's good advice, yes. That was kind of early days. <laughs> early days sort of thing to watch out for. <laughs> Maybe we should talk about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> That'd be, a, it'd be a, a good talk as well. Um Hey, let's switch to uh, a question I asked Nick. That I haven't put this up yet, but I had a great talk with Nick earlier in the week, um, and we talked about the worlds. Um, I don't remember what year, but um, there was a year in Mexico where each one of you, uh, Badger, yourself, Brad Gunn, 
uh, farmer, each one a day, I believe, um, at that at that world's. But as a team, um, you know, the U.S. has has always struggled at the world's. And you know, other than the obvious, you know, we Nick and I brought up, you know, obviously that the Swiss have money and the French have coaches. I mean, so other than some of the obvious things, um, what why do we struggle there so much? I think it's harder for us to train together than. You know, um, teams from small, smaller countries. You know, I, I've often had a chance to train with Badger because we're we're local and both doing the local league meets. But it's hard to get the whole team together, and then just kind of the the dynamics, the way the team works. It's it's a little bit harder to get people to kind of sacrifice themselves for the team and be perfectly cohesive. This was something that Nate brought up that I. I... I agreed. I really wanted to ask you. It seems to me, and I haven't been in the game very long, so uh, you know, I, I only started flying with you in, in 2012 in Chelan. But um, it seems that you've maintained this uh, incredible passion for the sport and for competition specifically for an awfully long time. Whereas I seem, you know, it seems to be that um, a lot of competition pilots, you know, get really fired up about it, chase it really hard, um, and then you know, maybe once they've tapped off a couple goals or you know hit a couple check marks or decided that hey this is just too expensive or too much time um they back away and and go off to something else but you you've maintained um a pretty steady passion i believe i mean maybe i'm wrong correct me if i'm wrong but um i'd love to just know where that comes from is it just love for the sport or something else yeah i don't know just uh i guess it just just kept being fun i this last season i i have been starting to feel a little bit of a sort of waning in, in desire or maybe just a little bit less kind of willingness to take quite as much risk, um, which probably played into flying the, the Triangle XC3 at the uh, Nationals in Owens. Tell me more about that decision then. Was that, um, you made that decision then uh, more specifically site-specific because it's the Owens and it's rowdy or just to have more of an enjoyable comp where you weren't having to worry about so much about stomping bar on a on a dicey wing um probably a little bit of both and and also just having um having had more experience with that glider flying it at league meets and kind of seeing what it could do Hmm. um i'd had a like a drag race with um i think uh francisco uh, on his uh, his Enzo two, where I came in ahead of him in the league meet, which made me think, ah, oh, Trango's not not so bad. Um, and it was just so much more mellow to fly, and like any, it, it would never get cravats, and anytime it would uh, crumple a little bit or or take a little bit of collapse, it would just be a total non-issue. Whereas with with the uh, Two liners, it's pretty much you got to be totally on your game, and even then, you got to be a little bit lucky sometimes. Sure, yeah, we certainly saw that at the at the competition as well with the two accidents there. Um, you're you've been a pretty vocal voice and someone that the the community, I mean, the world community respects a lot when it comes to this kind of thing. But tell me about what's happened since um, Peter Hida and and banning serial class and um, you know, as I know you've, you've, you're, you're opinionated on that and you've, you've, um, really tried to shape, um, 
how that's moved forward. What are your what are your thoughts on that with where we are and maybe where we should go? When when they first banned open class colliders, oh, I sorry, thought it was a serial mis- open. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was a, a mistake and I'd kind of lived through the previous attempt at serial class, which didn't really go anywhere. But at the time I was kind of imagining the current serial gliders we had then and you know it's it's amazing how when you when you sort of lay down some different some different rules for the designers they they'll they'll work with them and they'll they'll go crazy and you know come out with some some really competitive gliders um and uh, i don't know i i have mixed feelings about it like on the on the one hand you know, I'm not sure if things are way safer than than they would have been or than they were before, but it does seem to be a pretty well acknowledged idea that having the gliders go faster and faster um, was leading to some pretty pretty impressive and energetic blowouts, and and that the two liner technology was kind of enabling that, uh, and that was that was something new that we hadn't really seen before. You know, so I think we've by by having gliders that are tested, it means that that the CCC gliders, um, you know, generally they stall pretty nicely, pretty predictably. Whereas with the um, the open two liners, that wasn't so much of a of a given. Um, so that's an improvement, I guess. Um, you know, it sounds like maybe we've got some some pilots who wouldn't have flown open gliders who are flying um, CCC gliders now, and I'm not sure if that's a I'm not sure if that's a plus for safety. Um, if it was up to me to just, you know, decree what what we would fly in comps, I would probably prefer to fly more like uh, Exalps gliders, um, something you know, lightweight that recovers well, packable. Yeah, that sounds pretty nice. I mean, not a I wouldn't want to have a disposable glider, of course, but um, you know, something like that that a Durango is pretty nice. How much do you? I'm switching. That was great. I, I wanted to. We could stay on that topic for a long time. I know, but um, how much do you? How many hours would you say you fly in a year? And does it change a lot every year, or is it pretty consistent? Probably somewhere between seventy-five and one hundred and fifty or so. Okay, um, and then what are your kind of? What are your goals with? with flying when you look at these next couple years um do you have like some big big lines you're you're looking at or is it more uh comps or um just yeah where do you kind of where where's your energy going with flying i think i might be putting a little bit more energy into into switching careers soon but um <laughs> that's a totally different energy <laughs> yeah uh but but flying wise um flying wise i think i'd like to try to try to fly some new some new places and maybe try to do uh, a little bit of bivy flying or i don't know i keep saying that but I, I like the idea at least i've at least i've got a lightweight setup now that makes it seem more reasonable um Something I've been trying talking about trying to do for a while uh, would be a little bit like, um, well, sort of a, a rally kind of thing, like the uh, the Flytech race and rally. Um, I think it'd be really fun to get a bunch of friends together and um, 
get a, a van or a couple vans and start at one site and set a task to another site and um, you know keep on doing that for uh, for a few days. Oh, that sounds that sounds amazing. We definitely do that. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I don't expect you to give all your secrets secrets away, but uh, our, our listeners, I think, would be really disappointed if I didn't ask you in Nate's own voice, "What the fuck is your secret?" <laughs> that was that was his verbiage. Uh, I didn't do his accent, but um, why? You know, when I the first time I flew with you in in Chelan, um, the thing I picked up right away is just your constant searching. You know, your your uh, you're paying attention to everything. You know, I almost think of you as like a bobblehead. You've got your head going in a million different directions all the time. And that was really my first kind of like, okay, this is what I need to be doing. I need to be looking around more. But what else is it? Um, what are your kind of uh, go-tos or secrets? You know, you taught me, uh, I think a couple years ago, or maybe it was Chelan last year, that you often, when you come into a thermal, we tried this in, at Nationals and Mads didn't like it very much, but, um, you know, to sample more air by turning the opposite way of, of who mm-hmm. you're with, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I love that technique. And, and as long as somebody, you know, that understands what you're doing um, so they don't yeah. get upset. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one, yeah. But what are what are some other things? Because it's just, um, you know, I think it's one thing to, you know, rock up at a comp and do well, um, but you are incredibly consistent uh, just again and so, again and again. I, I think at a certain level, most pilots are, are pretty good at thermaling and pretty good at gliding. Um, I don't know. I've been told that I glide pretty well, and I, I think maybe part of that is, is kind of always trying to fly speed to fly and also like watching, watching other pilots around and trying to pick the better lines, um, you know, as well as any other clues there are. But really, I think the kind of the main, the main edge you can get once you get to a certain level is um, the psychology. And so I've tried to study some sports psychology books and I, I think I've come to a way of, of thinking about it that, that seems to work better for me um you know at, at, at first i would i'd be really inconsistent and if i didn't do well i'd beat myself up about it and i try to kind of dissect what you know why i did the wrong thing and so on and at some point i think i, I started to see it more as that you just try to get better and then the results kind of come from that but they're not a it's it's not a it's not a direct like you make the right to you, know, you decide you decide you want to win and then it happens, you know it's it's really more what you can actually influence is your your preparation, is um, you know your practice and getting all your gear so it works well, and you know not not being too tired or hungover or dehydrated uh, or hungry. Um, and then just trying to uh, never give up, I guess, is is another thing. Staying like optimistic. It, yeah, because so many so many times it happens that you get you get behind, uh, and then you catch up again. Or you know, sometimes it turns out that being behind actually, um, you know, turns out to be an advantage. Sure, sure. Um, for I think a lot of people don't really understand speed to fly. Can you talk about that? Um. Yeah, I mean it's a big subject. Um, 
it's let's see i mean you know the the cliff notes version of it is when you're in sink or headwind fly faster and it doesn't really take that much sink or headwind to where with a comp glider anyway you want to be going full speed one one thing that's easy to look at is just your your glide ratio over the ground and if that starts going down below um i don't know six to one or something you probably want to be going pretty fast is that your kind of that is that the main thing you're looking at on your instrument yeah that that and um you know ground speed to get a, a feel for if there's a headwind or tailwind i'll uh i'll look at the the drift and the thermal um because often you know you'll find that that one thermal might be drifting a lot and another one's hardly drifting at all and that will kind of factor into whether you want to stick with it longer or not you're often on the task committee i think you've always been on every task committee at any race i've been at with you um tell me about you know calling a good task you know what where are you guys what are you um as i know you're you're typically i think the voice in the task committee that's going for bigger tasks but um uh or maybe maybe we can even just use the sierras as an example but what are what are you kind of looking for there what what makes up a good task i guess i i like to try to sort of do as much as can be done with a day within reason without making it grueling uh but you know say what what is a a good flight that we could have today and also could we you know, do a nice a nice tour of the area could we see some new areas so like i was really happy with that task to bridgeport that yeah. was just really really beautiful and it we had some conflicting weather information but uh, it just worked out perfectly as far as the winds went the, the one out to the lake out to mono yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was just beautiful. And I liked it that there were so many options. You know, we had so many different ways of, of flying it once we left the whites. That was a that was a pretty terrific getting getting a goal there. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> so Josh, I wanted to ask you cuz you've flown so many wings over the years, what's the best and the worst wing you've ever flown? I think at the time the Ice Peak 6 was uh seemed like the best one I'd had up until then. And it, it was kind of a standout for being a really good all-around glider at the time. Yeah. Uh, worst was probably a one-off, uh, small-sized Wintech Silex that I had. Um, or no, no, a prototype. Well, they were both pretty bad, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so one, one was kind of a, a small version of... The medium one was... Medium Silex was good. But the small one, the test pilot was really too big to test it well, and it was kind of spin prone. The first, my first flight on it, actually, I spun it immediately. Right off um, launch. Yeah, which was exciting. I kind of like <laughs> swung through a few feet off the ground. So after that, I kind of got on a kick of of like testing the the spin point of gliders and really practicing that, and I've found it pretty useful. I guess so. Any other uh, memorable events on what? So, what year was that? It, I'm not even familiar with that brand. Uh, that was in the early 2000s. I was uh, I was sponsored by them for a bit, which you know, which was was great for a while. They were very generous, and I appreciated that. But but after a while, I I started to realize that um, you know, even even fairly generous sponsorship is. Uh, 
not necessarily worth it if you don't have a glider that's competitive. Another thing that one of the things that I learned or I heard about, I guess, early on in, in cross country flying, um, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it because <clears throat> it's something that I still battle with and certainly battled with it a lot in the X Alps um, is switching gears. Um, you know, going from when you can really throw down to where you really need to back off, that seems to be something you really excel in. Are there any um, kind of thoughts or ideas you can? give to our audience about how you switch gears? Uh, I think one thing that helps is to go over the the task on launch and just try to identify places that you think might be tricky spots and just try to kind of think a couple times before, you know, just sort of charging off in front on that part. You know, it might might be a time to take it, well, yeah, you know, just, just try to sort of imagine in advance where, where you might want to dial it back. Uh, but then also, I guess, just experience tends to give you tends to give you more intuition about when are good times to take it easy. Uh, I mean, an obvious thing also is um, kind of dividing the sky up into thirds and keeping track of your, your height above ground and getting more conservative as you get lower. And, and on the other hand, uh, it's good to be ready when you're coming up on a section where it's going to be just head banging ridge running because if you're not if you're not in the right headspace for that you can pretty easily get left behind when everyone else goes full bar mm, okay excellent when when you going back to your nickname the josh bot um uh, what what are you thinking like maybe in a lead up to a comp say a big comp like the, maybe this year's worlds um you know, have you learned techniques? You know, Mads gave a great talk when we were out in the Sierras on, you know, a kind of like mental preparation and priming. And, you know, he's he wrote the, that book, The Rags to Glory, about winning. Um, do you have some things, that, you know, you're kind of what's in your tool bag for uh, when you, you know, when you when you come to a comp? What are you thinking about before it starts? I mean, I, I try to I try to be, be psyched for it. I. I think, I mean, listening to, to Mads talk about, about that stuff, I don't feel like I'm quite as kind of mentally fragile as he imagines us to be about things like going to the, going to the you know, pilot's briefing and so on. I, I guess I kind of generally agreed with his idea, idea that you don't want to kind of belabor talking about accidents and so on too much. Um, and, and, yeah, you want to avoid sort of negative energy on launch and so on. I don't know. I think if I'm if I'm having fun and kind of looking forward to going flying, then then that's that's kind of my my happy place, I guess. Did the um, did the accidents in the Sierras this time around? I know you know Badger's a, a good friend of both of ours, uh, but I know he's you know your flying partner, and you guys have spent a long time for many many years flying together. Was that um, a bit of a shakeup, or is that the kind of thing um, where it's you know you've seen it? Uh, you've seen it a lot and um you know it's just it's it's really it's part of our sport no that was that was tough um i think i kind of put off you know emotionally dealing with it until until the comp was over basically uh although it's still uh yeah it still definitely shook me a little bit but it's been good to see him on the road on the road to recovery since then oh good 
sounds good to hear. Um, spe speaking of risk, um, you know, in, in those accidents, have do have your you, know, you you said you know you did say that you're maybe backing off a little bit, but if you um, has your approach to risk changed much? And I think it changes for all of us as we get older, of course. But um, you know, has your is your risk? Were you at Peter Hita in 2011? Uh, yeah, it was. Okay. And, and, is your... and that was, yeah, that was really a, a, a dark, dark atmosphere there. Yeah, and it just sounded like it doesn't get much darker than that. It was horrible. Um, is is your kind of um, tolerance for risk changed um, because of what you've seen in paragliding? Or, um, or can you kind of attribute it to just years? I, the, the way I think about it is, is that, um, well, I think I, I went back and forth about that years back. And I, I guess after, after the years when I threw my reserve several times in a couple of years, I, I kind of backed off a little bit and flew serial gliders for a while. And then at some point, I think I decided that I was going to I think I convinced myself that it was sort of reasonably safe for me to fly comp gliders and it'd be a lot more fun and, and it was worth it. And so I, I made that decision and then just decided not to, not to worry about it for, for a while. And, but I think it's good to reevaluate every, every so often, you know, especially in the, in the off season when you're not, like I think it's it's good to kind of set aside those kind of existential doubts when you're going flying, but but it's also good to be realistic and reevaluate every so often. I do feel like I'm a, a little bit in a reevaluation period a bit now. Hmm. Um, 2010, the PwC in Chelan. I, I I hope I have the right comp. Is like I said, this, that's before my time, but. Um, is that the one where you guys had that amazing, you know, last flight on the last day that Russ Ogden still talks about? And if so, can you, can you tell me about that flight? I think that was, I think we had a, a like a U.S. Open before the PWC, and that was, uh, okay. yeah, it was like a 100K triangle where uh, we came in as the sun was going down and the moon was coming up. And, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty amazing. And we just basically ridge soared the last the last leg of the triangle uh coming down the columbia river there wow, with kind man. of a quartering quartering headwind um so yeah it was it was pretty amazing um and then also uh at the let's see more recent chelan open uh, we had that 200k task and that that was amazing that was one where at about i don't know 180k or so I just happened to be on glide and kind of look around at the terrain and we were over the the Palouse country and I'd hardly ever had this happen before, but I just had this um uh frisson like um you know, the hair on the back of your neck stands up and uh it was just so so beautiful. So I mean it's moments it's moments like that that uh definitely make it uh seem more worthwhile. I think that was the most spectacular final glide maybe I've ever had. That was just a an amazing mm -hmm. evening where you just 
it, yeah, I, yeah, I kind of forgotten about the instruments and the comp and everything going on. It was just like, holy cow, look at this place. That was a really mm -hmm. special comp. That was pretty fun. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see that Maddie's uh, got his hand up for, for nationals in, in Chelan next year. That should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm super psyched for that. Yeah. So you might go down to uh, the Monarca, and uh, you'll be doing Chelan Nationals next summer. Any other kind of big, uh, you know, hope fors this season? Uh, well, I guess we got a, uh, a Nationals in Salt Lake also uh, combined with right. open distance, maybe, and that that sounds interesting. Mm. Um, I, I could imagine. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if we'd be allowed to do uh, to do both. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be all right. This task is too short. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, finally, Josh. You know what I wanted to ask about because I talked about this a bit with Nick. Um, but knowing that, you know, you're one of the regional directors and very involved in what's going on with, with Ushba all the time, um, can you uh, give us a little insight into what's happening with uh, the insurance right now? Well, it's, it's, it's still a little bit in flux, but from what I understand of it, it's that for years we'd, we'd sort of talked about the potential to self-insure as kind of a, a plan B if, uh, if things fell through. And there was always kind of a bit of a threat in the back of our minds that, that we could lose our insurance. Um, and so now it's, it's looking like we, we might be at risk of losing it or of, of having the premiums go up so much that it would be untenable. So it looks like we're moving forward with self-insuring, self or at least very seriously investigating it. And um, one of one of the best benefits of that, as far as I can tell, is that um, we would be able to control uh, the way that uh, the way that cases go. So, uh, like, often the insurance company has the incentive to just settle and just get get potential claims off their books, and that's not really good for precedence and discouraging future lawsuits. So we would have the option to be a bit tougher about that. So like in all things, maybe a bad thing presents some opportunities. Yeah, it does seem like long-term it could it could be quite good. And is there risk um, of losing sites because of this, or is this more on a you know case-to-case, person-to-person basis? Well, if we lost our insurance, then, then yeah, we could lose probably a fair number of sites, at least initially. But hopefully it won't. It won't come to that. Well, cool, Josh. I, I, uh, I want to be respectful of your time. That was fantastic. Is there uh, is there anything else you want to add before uh, before we close it down? Any any other advice to uh, you know we're 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 starting to get a lot of downloads and a lot of listeners on this, and I think people are really enjoying uh, getting the advice from guys like you, as I have over the years. I've been so uh, lucky to have guys like you as my mentors uh, that I've been able to learn so much from. I, I feel like it's just a it's a real honor to be able to spend some time with you guys, you know, when we fly around these comps, but obviously now as well. Um, is there uh, anything, anything other little tidbits of advice you'd like to um, let out of the bag? 
Um, yeah, thanks for doing these podcasts, Gavin. I've, I've enjoyed them. Um, I mean, I guess I might have already kind of said it, but um, you know, I would, I would suggest try to focus on just getting better and not so much on results, and, and the results will, you know, will take care of themselves. You know, the, the kind of gliders below, some of the gliders, at least below comp gliders these days, go really well. So you can get 95% of the performance of a comp glider, and it feels like it's much less risky to me anyway. Um, and, and then also be able to, you can have lightweight gear and do hike and fly. And I don't know, there's just a lot of, uh, it's a lot of fun, fun things to do. There's a there's there's many aspects to this crazy absurd thing that we take part in, isn't there? It's it is pretty entertaining. Well, hey, thanks a lot, Josh. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time, and uh, we'll see you down in Mexico, hopefully. Yeah, thanks, Gavin, and uh, just uh, shout out to uh, all U.S. pilot friends. It's you know, it's always fun flying with everyone. There are too too many to too many to list everyone, but um, and you know everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. Man, there's a lot of uh, learning going on there. A lot of really valuable lessons and advice from Josh Cohen. Really appreciate that talk. Really appreciate his time. Uh, we changed the format here a little bit after getting some feedback from some of you that uh, you didn't like the uh, the way I was starting these off with uh, a quote or a little bit of talk from whoever was previously on the show. Of course, what I should be doing is who's next on the show. Uh, but I'm just actually wrapping this one up and I'm be on the phone tonight with uh, the current champion in India. Uh, well, that'll be a pretty fascinating talk with a guy named Gurpreet. Looking forward to that. Um, as always, if you enjoyed the show, all we ask for is a buck an episode. Uh, that really helps me uh, get beers in these guys' hands when we're doing these things and take them out to dinner and stuff. Uh, it's You've all been incredibly generous, really fantastic. It's making me want to dive in and do a better job and figure out some of the audio stuff. I'm obviously new at podcasting, but it sure has been fun. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, put a little rating on, on Stitcher or iTunes. That helps spread the word for sure. Uh, if you've got questions you want to ask or people you want to have on the show, reach out to me on Facebook or email. Uh, sign up for the newsletter on cloudbasedmayhem.com, and that'll keep you in the know when these things come out. And uh, catch you next time. Thanks very much. Cheers. <laughs>